from the heart of our nation's capital. Here's Family Research Council President Tony Perkins. Well, hello, everyone, and Merry Christmas. Welcome to Washington Watch. Coming up, we are still in Georgia, broadcasting again today from Truett McConnell University. Last night, we hosted a Pray, Vote, Stand Georgia rally. We'll have some highlights from several of our speakers a little later when FRC Action Vice President Brent Kylan joins me here in our makeshift studio. And more good news out of the U.S. Supreme Court yesterday on religious freedom. A majority of the justices siding with the churches that were pushing back against the double standard of a number of governors who were employing uh, these tactics to shut down the churches. Kevin Daly with the Free Beacon uh, joins us to talk about how the dominoes are falling in favor of churches after the New York decision. And speaking of religious freedom, the Trump administration continuing to adopt rules that respect religious organizations that seek to partner with the government. The Secretary of Health and Human Services, Secretary Alex Azar, is here with the details. And how many Made in China stickers do you have hiding under your Christmas tree? Well, Acting Deputy Secretary of the Department of Homeland Security, Ken Cuccinelli, says, buyer beware, you might be aiding something that, quite frankly, you don't want to. We'll be talking about that when Ken joins us a little bit later. The website, TonyPerkins.com. If you're on Parlor, it is at T. Perkins. And let me again remind you, as uh, we are moving toward the end of the year, we've been given a very generous uh, challenge grant that has come from uh, friends of FRC. And essentially everything you give between now and December the 31st will be doubled. And, of course, we receive no government money, none, zero, zilch. We're here because of you, because of supporters like you across the country that want to hear the truth, who want a voice in Washington, D.C. And so go to TonyPerkins.com, and uh, you can be a part of keeping Washington Watch going out across the nation. All right, as I mentioned, the Supreme Court yesterday, some some significant cases on religious freedom, on churches, one out of Colorado. Uh, we've got positive decisions uh, in the Ninth Circuit uh, where churches that have been fighting for some time now are getting relief. The U.S. Supreme Court telling governors, hey, back off, you're employing a double standard. And it all kind of goes back to uh, a really important decision just a couple of weeks ago out of New York when uh, the slapdown of Governor Cuomo took place. Join me now to talk more about this. Uh, Kevin Daly, Supreme Court reporter for the Free uh, for the Washington Free Beacon. Kevin, thanks so much for joining us today. Tony, it's good to be with you. Merry Christmas to you and your listeners. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. Same to you. Uh, Kevin, you've kind of put this together where the dominoes are falling. Uh, It began with the Supreme Court in uh, Thanksgiving blocking New York Governor Andrew Cuomo's worship restrictions. Now this is going all across the nation. Yeah, that's exactly right, and I, I like that idea of the domino effect because I think it's a nice visual for what is happening in all of these cases. As you say, on Thanksgiving, the Supreme Court, on a 5-4 to four vote, said that Governor Andrew Cuomo's worship restrictions in force in New York State were unconstitutional. Those limits uh, restricted church attendance to 10 to 15 people uh, per entity. Since then, we have seen a number of emergency appeals reach the Supreme Court from California, from Colorado, and New Jersey. And in all of those cases, we saw lower courts siding with blue state officials and upholding these church attendance limits. And what the Supreme Court has done is erase all of those decisions and tell the lower courts, 
have another swing at this, take another look, and when you do that this time, watch what we did in the New York case and follow our lead. So they are sending, they've done this, as I say, on three occasions since December 3rd. So they're sending a very clear signal to the lower courts about the direction of these religious liberty challenges. Yeah, Kevin, I found it interesting in the dissenting opinions yesterday uh, with the liberal minority where they were saying, well, I mean, the, the, the governors there have already changed. I think it was pointing to Colorado, already changed his rules. But just like I think it was Governor, or, or, I'm sorry, Justice Gorsuch in the New York case said, wait a minute, just because he changed the rules as the petitioner was getting to, to the courts doesn't mean they cannot come back and do it another time. So what's important about these cases it appears to me, and you correct me if I'm wrong, but as these cases are going forward, it's going to keep these governors from reverting back to these uh, overreaching guidelines that they're placing on churches. Yeah, I think that's right, Tony. I think we are not going to see uh, a kind of uh, reversion back to the original pandemic restriction policies. You mentioned Justice Gorsuch uh, and, and his concurrence in the New York case. Uh, he has a very nice line uh, in response to this argument. And the argument is, you know, blue state officials will amend their coronavirus policies at the last minute when they get uh, when these cases get to the Supreme Court, uh, trying to head off a defeat. Uh, and Chief Justice Roberts and the liberal minority have gone along with that. They've said, look, this case is moot. And if uh, these these restrictions arise again in the future, the churches can just come back to us and we'll see what we can do for them then. Uh, but Justice Gorsuch has this very punchy line in concurrence. Uh, he says, none of us are rabbis wondering whether future services will be disrupted as the high holy days were, or priests preparing for Christmas. That's a quote from his opinion. In essence, he's saying, it's easy for you dissenters to say that the plaintiffs should just live with the uncertainty, but things look very different from the perspective of a church or a synagogue. Yeah. Uh, very well said. And to imply somehow that it's easy just to knock at the door of the Supreme Court. I mean, it takes months, uh, if not years, to get before the Supreme Court. And I think many of these power-hungry governors are playing this not only to save a defeat, but also to save their power for another day. Yeah, and, and I think, uh, you know, it, it, these these restrictions, of course, um, you know, will, will only be enforced uh, for so long as, as the pandemic uh, is an issue. Uh, but I think one thing to keep an eye on going forward is uh, as the pandemic begins to recede, as the vaccine becomes, uh, you know, more available to the public for how long will blue state officials try to keep these worship restrictions in place? We have already seen lots of public health experts say even after you get the vaccine, it's going to be important that you wear masks for the foreseeable future, possibly all the way through 2021. Whether or not they will attempt to do the same with these worship restrictions is an open question. Although, again, I think the plain signal at this point from the Supreme Court is uh, that's not going to be tolerated. Yeah, and, and Kevin, one of my concerns all along has been you know, there'll be another pandemic, there'll be another crisis. And where we leave off with this one will be where we begin with the next one. And so I think it's extremely important. And I've spoken to a number of the attorneys in these public interest law firms that are defending some of these churches not to uh, to back up once the rules are changed or if a governor, you know, gives them what they want, but to press this forward so that we are establishing in law the supremacy of the First Amendment and the, 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 the just how 
foundational religious freedom is in our society and how the way we keep it is by exercising it. And, and I think to the, you know to that uh, to that point that uh, the precedents that you have uh, or the, the decisions that we have seen from the Supreme Court of late uh, are are encouraging. Really, we've heard two things from the conservative majority in recent cases. One, religious rights are special, as you say, Tony. The First Amendment protects them. The strict scrutiny, the toughest degree of judicial review, is going to apply any time there is uh, a worship restriction in play or a church attendance limit in play. Uh, second. Uh, and this is a, a closely related point. A lot of blue states have tried to justify these restrictions by saying it's true, we've set limits on church attendance or religious education, but we've applied those same limits against similar secular activities like concert going or, or watching movie in the theaters. So, you know, any activity in which large numbers of people are arriving and departing at the same time, spending time together in an enclosed space, those are all going to be subject to our attendance limits. Uh, and on that point, what we've heard from, from the justices, and this, uh, you know, I think will be good law, uh, for a long time going forward is it doesn't matter if the state is subjecting churches and all like entities to these attendance caps. It's no answer to say that the concert venues are closed, too. What matters is that some secular entities, like the liquor store or the fly fishing shop, are still open. And once right. the state starts creating a list of favored businesses, it's on them to show why churches are excluded, something they will yeah. very rarely be able to do. Yeah, no, great, great point. Um, of course, I know it's, it, I don't want to mix apples and oranges, but in, in reality, the effect is the same. One of my pet peeves in all of this is the way airlines are treated. Um, I know it's, it's governed by the federal government, but I'm on planes two or three times a week and every seat packed, uh, people sitting elbow to elbow for hours. That's okay. But sitting, you know, uh, you know, a few people in a pew for, you know, 60 minutes, 90 minutes, not okay. Uh, it, it's hard to, for me to wrap my head around why there is a double standard. And I think that's what the court is getting at. That's true, and, and, and um, those, those double standards are, are going to be uh, increasingly difficult to maintain going forward. Uh, you know, I, I, one other thing I would say is in, in May, uh, we saw an opinion from the court uh, in which worship restrictions for Nevada uh, were upheld, and Chief Justice Roberts uh, wrote a very short separate opinion saying, in essence, uh, that state officials should be given broad latitude uh, to, to respond to the pandemic and that courts really should not interfere with them. Uh, that decision was really very important. It's been cited over a hundred times in the lower courts uh, over the summer and the fall, uh, upholding various COVID restrictions, some not even having to do with religion. Uh, and in these cases, first the New York case uh, and the three cases from California, Colorado, and New Jersey, we've been talking about mark a sharp departure from that kind of hands-off approach that the Chief Justice uh, and his liberal colleagues were espousing in the early phases uh, of the pandemic. So is that uh, decision already in the dustbin of history? I think it's safe to say that that's right. Well, that's good. Kevin Daly, thanks so much for joining us. Uh, great information and a very insightful piece that you uh, wrote at the Washington Free Beacon. Those, thanks for joining us today. Take care, Tony. Be well. All right, uh, Kevin Daly, to, uh, to find out more. By the way, the Washington Free Beacon is a great uh, resource for you. Uh, go to TonyPerkins.com, and you can follow the links over uh, to see Kevin's piece. Look, this is what we were talking about in terms of the court uh, with Amy Coney Barrett. We now see a majority defending religious freedom. And 
as we said, the dominoes falling in our favor for a change. So um, this is good news. Uh, religious freedom is being defended because, as I've been saying all along that I brought up with Kevin, where we leave off in this pandemic is where we begin in the next crisis. And one thing I've learned over the last 20 years, as I've observed, I should say, over the last 20 years, is that these uh, these crises that we're facing, they're not they're not one offs. We think, ah, you know, it's just this. Look, we've seen natural disasters. We've seen these pandemics. We've seen, you know, elections. I, I think this is a part of the what the scripture says, the, the birth pangs. This is as we move toward the end of time. And, and I'm just this comes right out of scripture that we're going to see these types of things. Tribulation. And I'm not talking about the tribulation. I'm just talking about the precursor and, and what is happening. And I think we can't we would be foolish to think, oh, this isn't going to happen again. I think we need to be prepared to be facing these types of challenges and how we respond individually, as churches, and as uh, as a society and government to these pandemics. It, it, it sets a precedent and a pattern. All right. Don't go away. On the other side of the break, some good news, some more good news. Would you like some more good news today? Secretary Alex Azar with the Department of Health and Human Services joins us to talk about a new final rule that nine federal agencies announced earlier this week protecting religious freedom. And as I mentioned, uh, Brent Kylan is going to be joining us a little bit later with some highlights from last night's Pray, Vote, Stand Georgia rally that we had here at Truett McConnell University. So don't go away. A lot more Washington Watch to come right after this. Hey, Matt. Hey, Hannah. What's going on? Why so gloomy? Well, I'm a little disappointed. I had a lot planned to do during the stay-at-home time, and I just didn't do it. Oh, yeah? What did you have planned that you didn't get to do? Well, I was actually hoping I would finally be able to get time to do a regular Bible reading routine, and I started a couple of times. I just didn't stick with it. Don't be too down on yourself. Starting a new routine can be hard, but one way to help is to join in with others and to have a good game plan. I think I have a good solution for you. Oh, yeah? Tony Perkins and FRC are doing a two-year study in the Word. They have it all mapped out. When did they start? I I would be so far behind. Oh, that's not a problem. You can literally jump in any time. There's a daily reading just a couple of chapters a day with questions to help you think about what you're reading. Nice. Where can I find this? Go to frc.org slash Bible and you can get started. Where's that again? frc.org slash Bible. Got it. Checking it out now. In a recent poll... It was revealed that only 6% of Americans hold a biblical worldview. This research also indicated that Christianity's teachings on abortion, marriage, and homosexuality are not only misunderstood, but seen as dangerous and subversive. In response to this trend, Family Research Council has released a new set of resources in our Biblical Worldview series. In addition to our full publications, which cover the topics of Christian political engagement, abortion, religious liberty, and human sexuality, FRC now offers helpful summaries of each publication in this series, as well as accompanying prayer guides to help you and your family pray through these important issues. And finally, our popular biblical principles for political engagement is now available in Spanish. All these resources are free and available at frc.org worldview. 
Again, that's frc.org slash worldview. Masculinity in America has never been under attack the way it is today. We've reached the point where the term itself is considered toxic or offensive to many. The consistent message in our nation is that masculinity by nature is bad and is the root cause of many of the problems plaguing our society. From his experience as a military combat officer and ordained minister of the gospel, Lieutenant General William Boykin has seen and dealt with firsthand the breakdown of leadership in our nation by the lack of godly men living lives of biblical purpose. In his latest book, Man to Man, Rediscovering Masculinity in a Challenging World, he addresses the essential elements of manhood as a provider, an instructor, a defender, a battle buddy, and a chaplain, and explains how to personally develop these traits and pass them to the next generation. Get your copy today of Man to Man, wherever books are sold. To Washington Watch, I'm your host, Tony Perkins. So good to have you with us. The website, TonyPerkins.com. If you'd like to uh, to partner with us as we move toward the end of the year, we've got a generous match, a $1 million match, a challenge match. So if, essentially whatever you get between now and December the 31st will be doubled uh, by our supporters out there to make sure Washington Watch continues. So go to TonyPerkins.com and partner with us today. Earlier this week, the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services announced a joint final rule. It means it's final with eight other agencies that will treat faith-based and secular organizations involved in HHS-supported programs equally, meaning faith-based programs get to operate the way faith-based programs operate. The biggest victory in this rule is that faith-based organizations do not lose their legal protections and rights as a religious organization just because they participate in federal programs and activities. At the end of the day, that's what makes these organizations effective. It's their faith. Joining me now to get the details of this joint final rule is the Secretary of Health and Human Services, Alex Azar. Secretary, welcome back to the program. Tony, it's great to be with you. Thank you for having me. Well, I have to say that uh, this administration has never stopped defending life, the sanctity of human life, rights of conscience, and religious freedom. Uh, here we are, you know, final uh, final period of this administration, and still working to solidify the protections for religious freedom. Well, we are we are continuing in our fight to protect life from the moment of conception through natural death. We in fact uh, just came from an important event the vice president hosted with members uh, across the faith-based community and the pro-life community, thanking uh, them uh, and you for your support really throughout this whole first term, uh, because it's only been with your backing that we've been able to make so many critical advances uh, in the cause of life as well as uh, to protect religious liberty. So, Secretary Azar, explain to our listeners why this rule, coming from, uh, I think, a total of nine agencies, is so significant. Well, it's really important because what had, ha- what had happened was uh, the previous administration had really put a, uh, uh, put a scarlet letter 
on any faith-based provider and said, if you're a faith-based grantee, a faith-based provider, you actually have to announce that to grant to any beneficiaries and you have to point them to non-faith-based providers of services. And, and that's just, we found that to be an intolerable burden and discrimination against faith-based providers in, in our system. And so across these many agencies, we put out a joint rule making it clear that faith-based organizations are able to participate in our programs on an equal footing without regard to their, their, the, the exercise of their religious freedom and conscience rights. So a very important leveling of the playing field that was long overdue. But also recognizes the distinctive of these organizations. If I mean, if they weren't, if, the, if their faith wasn't there, most of them would not be nonprofits. That's what motivates them is their faith. These faith-based organizations, they would just be another secular organization. So, in effect, uh, they were either being denied entry into these contracts to provide services uh, if they didn't check their faith at the door or dis- declare it as it was, as a as somehow a disqualifier, a scarlet letter, as you said. And this simply says they're going to be treated like everybody else. You do the best. You provide the best service based upon your what you do and how you do it. And, hey, you can participate. That's right, uh, because is, is for precisely the reasons you say, what, make, what makes these providers work is their sense of mission and commitment, and that mission is based in a faith belief. And we, we cannot and should not remove what makes these organizations unique, what makes them able to deliver high-quality services, and try to purge that from them as the condition of participating in these federal programs to deliver services on our behalf. So um, really important. Okay, Secretary Israel, let me ask you this question. Let's say another administration comes along at some point. Will it be difficult for a not-so-friendly faith-based administration to undo this? Well, uh, so with our many accomplishments, we have we have worked always to make sure that we've done them the right way, procedurally correct, and that's why we've had such a, a, a string of successes in the courts. We use notice and comment rulemaking. We fully consider all comments. We have a rationale for what we do. It's based in the text and statute, uh, the text of statutes as well as the Constitution, all of our actions. And so if there were a different administration coming along, they would have to follow a process of equal dignity and, frankly, take the same amount of time. You know, a lot of these take a great deal of time to go through. But they'd have to be able to articulate rationales for why an agency was completely reversing a position, and a court would scrutinize that quite carefully as to you know, what would be the rational basis for that type of a shift in, uh, in position. So we've tried to make these as enduring uh, and, and as difficult to to modify as possible. Uh, I heard a key word there, courts, because if they change these rules and begin to discriminate against organizations that, as you said, there's no rationale for it, they could end up in court. And, you know, we've actually had some pretty good judges put onto the bench. So it may be a little hard for for a not-so-faith-friendly administration to unravel these. That's right. I don't think it's simply stroke of the pen. It'll really require a great deal of work uh, uh, because our team has put that work in. We've thought carefully about these matters. We've considered all comments thoroughly. We've explained our consideration of them. And that's the process that courts under the Administrative Procedures Act will, will require for any subsequent administration to attempt to unwind, minimize, or mitigate uh, the advances we've made. And remember, our, our actions 
are based in protecting some of the most fundamental rights of, uh, of conscience. And so actions to the contrary are those that actually are trying to take away the rights of conscience and free exercise of religion. And so those, should, should those actions should also be scrutinized with a higher level of, uh, of scrutiny by the, by the courts. Well, Mr. Secretary, I want to say thank you uh, for joining us today, but also for an outstanding track record of defending religious freedom, the rights of conscience, and the sanctity of human life. You've done an outstanding job as Secretary, and I just want to thank you on behalf of all of our listeners. Thank you, and your support has always been critical. Thank you. Secretary Alex Azar, Department of Health and Human Services. And you know what, folks? We're going to fight to protect these gains that have been made. And there's ways to do it, and we will do it. All right, don't go away. Coming up next, we'll be joined by Ken Cuccinelli from the Department of Homeland Security talking about buyers beware of what's uh, what that label says on that product you buy. Don't go away. We're back after this. Since the 1973 Roe v. Wade Supreme Court decision, Congress and many states have taken various actions to stop taxpayer dollars from funding abortions or the abortion industry. As early as 1976, Congressman Henry Hyde led the effort to ban federal funding for abortions. The Federal Hyde Amendment, named after him, established the principle that abortion is not health care and therefore taxpayers should not be forced to fund abortions. Despite these efforts, the abortion industry still receives millions of dollars each year in taxpayer money. In 2019, Planned Parenthood, America's largest abortion provider, received $616.8 million in government funds. Family Research Council's newly updated pro-life map tracks how your state has taken action to stop taxpayer funding of abortions. Go to frc.org slash pro-life maps to see where your state stands in the fight for life. That's frc.org slash pro-life maps. Oh, man. What's wrong? I just missed Washington Watch with Tony Perkins, and our congressman was going to be on the show today. Oh, that's not a big deal. What do you mean? Well, you can always catch the replay of the day's show. How's that? With the Stand Firm app. Yeah? Yep, you can catch that day's program and so much more. You can contact your elected officials on campaigns and policies that are important to you with the Take Action tab. You can listen to Washington Watch with Tony Perkins live and play previous episodes while conveniently going about your day. You can access the Washington Update, informative blogs, tweets, and critical campaigns on the main feed so you can stay up to date on local and national news. Wow, i definitely use that. How do you find the app? Just visit frc.org slash app and download or search Stand Firm in the App Store. Okay, that's Stand Firm. Yep, Stand Firm. How do you know all this? Because I'm a SageCon, but that's another story. Huh? Welcome back to Washington Watch. I'm your host, Tony Perkins. So good to have you with us. We're again broadcasting today, as I mentioned, from Truett McConnell University in northern Georgia, as we've got a number of events uh, lined up here. In fact, last night, you're going to hear just a minute uh, with uh, Brent Kylan about our Pray, Vote, Stand Georgia rally that we had. But first, you know, as you're doing your Christmas shopping, 
if you uh, turn some of those things over and you look closely, you're bound to see a lot of made-in-China stickers. Now, over the last 20 years, we've seen a steady growth in the number of products imported from China. And there's a growing concern today over our trade with China, not just because of the financial deficit that it's created with them, but a widening moral deficit. As many of these products are being made with forced labor, take cotton, for instance. China produces about 20% of the world's cotton supply, but a large portion of their exported cotton is being produced with forced Uyghur labor. Join me now to talk about China's latest human rights abuses and why you need to be careful when you're shopping. As acting Deputy Secretary of the Department of Homeland Security, our good friend Ken Cuccinelli. Ken, welcome back to the program. Tony, good to be with you. Now, you recently wrote an op-ed about this saying shoppers beware. What do they need to be aware of? Yeah, and you noted, uh, you know, you flip those things over and you see a lot of made-in-China labels. And for cotton products, um, seven-eighths of it is made in this Xinjiang uh, province in northwestern China and overwhelmingly with forced labor, slave labor, um, by entities run and managed by the Communist Party of China. And they, frankly, make a profit off of it. Um, And this is one to three million people. This is not small potatoes. So uh, that's what they're doing uh, to uh, to oppress the minority up there, to try to force them to adopt Han Chinese culture and, and abandon their own faith and abandon their own culture um, by force. So while the Chinese may have a planned economy, the principles of supply and demand come into a effect here if we you know if we have the demand and we buy this product they're going to continue to supply it so indirectly those companies uh that well maybe not so much indirectly but the companies that certainly use that cotton and then us as consumers we indirectly are supporting this forced labor well that's right and um you know we have laws on the books in the united states that allow us to block these imports when we can identify them. And part of the challenge is, if you're the Chinese government, you're not going to point to us which one was made by the slave labor and which one was made in ordinary open competition where the laborer had the choice of whether to work there or not. Um, So it's a great challenge when we can't exactly go send investigators into their country. We gather information in all sorts of ways um, and have issued withhold release orders which block these imports at the ports of entry, at the Los Angeles port, at Newark and New York and so forth around the country. And uh, we've literally stopped hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars of these products. But ultimately, as you pointed out, Tony, uh, it's supply and demand here. If people simply refuse to buy these products, that is the best, uh, that is the best policeman of all is the consumer. Yeah, so we, uh, we we need to put these cheap products in perspective when we're thinking about why are they so cheap, and when you don't right. have to pay the labor, well, that certainly makes them cheaper, uh, but it comes at a high moral price. Now, Congress has actually tried to address some of this with the Uyghur Forced Labor Prevention Act, which passed the House but has been held up in the Senate in part because some big companies have been opposing it. Yeah, that's quite true. And, um, you know, they don't necessarily appreciate when we issue these withhold release orders, but we've issued more of them in the last year than ever before, certainly directed at Xinjiang. Uh, we've literally issued more in the last year than all previous years combined. 
so um, as we develop more information and and uh, we try to do that with nonprofits with other countries like Australia with individuals who escape uh, get their evidence and so forth um, we will continue to expand this effort and it, it does have broad bipartisan support so it's not one of those things you'd necessarily expect to change from administration to administration uh, this is something Americans genuinely believe in we are against slavery um, that should be no surprise right but um, this is where the rubber meets the road it's with products like these and there is a part that every consumer can play you know we talk about congress passing laws we talk about business being responsible but ultimately we as consumers have more influence than uh, we often recognize and as you said it's by what we choose to buy or not buy that sends a pretty strong message well that's right and you exercise your own individual moral authority by making that choice and um, you know we don't need to look to government to address every problem we can address some of these problems one small bit at a time ourselves and and uh, and there's a case to be made for that on a moral level as you noted not just not just a legal level I'd also point out you know you mentioned Tony these products can be sold more cheaply of course because we're using slave labor well that does nothing for American workers it cheats them too you're absolutely right. Uh, so we don't need to look to government to solve this. We simply look to the label, turn it over, see where it's made. Ken Cuccinelli, thanks so much for uh, joining us today. As always, uh, great to talk with you. My pleasure. Good to talk to you, Tony. Happy, Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas to you as well. Ken Cuccinelli, Acting Deputy Secretary of the Department of Homeland Security, issuing a buyer's beware warning. Turn it over, see where it's made by American, if possible. All right, folks, don't go away. Coming up next, FRC Action Vice President Brent Kylan is here to talk about last night's Pray Vote Stand rally. Hello, this is Tony Perkins. With the balance of power in the U.S. Senate on the line, the runoff elections for Georgia's two U.S. Senate seats on January the 5th may be the most important Senate elections of our lifetimes. The outcome will have a profound impact on the future of faith, family, and freedom for all Americans. That's why we're inviting you to join us in North Georgia for our Pray Vote Stand Georgia Rally Tuesday, December the 15th at 7 p.m., Join me, Congressman Doug Collins, Congressman Jody Heiss, Congressman Louis Gomer, Todd Starnes, Abraham Hamilton, and others as we join together to discuss how we can get involved. The rally will be at Truett McConnell University in Cleveland, and again, it starts at 7 p.m. For more details, visit PrayVoteStand.org. That's PrayVoteStand.org. This rally is sponsored by FRC Action and AFA Action. Are you looking to grow closer in your relationship with Jesus Christ and in your knowledge of God's Word? Family Research Council has a three-part series titled, Three Ways to Read the Bible. This series shares helpful ways to be encouraged and directed by God's truth by observing the text of the Bible and applying it to your life. There is no better time than now to get to know God through His Word by looking into the Bible to see what it says about itself, God, and humanity. There's no better time than now to begin devoting time to the Lord and to seek out His meaning for you. 
This blog series is a great primer on opening your eyes and heart to Him through the Bible amid the toils and troubles of today. Check out this helpful resource and learn how to read the Bible with not just your eyes, but with your heart and mind as well. To learn more, visit frcblog.com slash ways to read. That's frcblog.com slash ways to read. The rapidly changing moral landscape of the 21st century presents a challenge for Christians committed to biblical sexual ethics. An uprising against morality has overturned centuries of norms concerning the family, marriage, and human sexuality. Secular culture is not the only challenger of Christian sexual ethics. Increasingly, theologically liberal churches and denominations are rejecting the church's historic teaching on marriage. As a result, Christians are facing increasing pressure to compromise the Bible's teaching on human sexuality. How should Christians who are committed to God's Word respond to these challenges? What does the Bible teach about sexuality? Family Research Council has a new publication that presents the biblical principles for human sexuality. It lays out a survey of culture, scripture, and church history that will help pastors and all Christians meet modern-day challenges to biblical sexuality with truth and love. To access this publication, visit frc.org slash human sexuality. It's beginning to look a lot like Christmas everywhere you go. Take a look in the five and ten. Welcome back to Washington Watch. It is look it is beginning to look like Christmas, although I would say I will say in Georgia here it's beginning to look like an election. Uh, yet another one. Runoff election on January the fifth, two US Senate races. First time this has ever happened since direct elections of the Senate. Uh, since uh, over 100 years ago, since used to be the state legislatures would appoint senators. And then in 1916, I think it was the uh, election, 1918, direct election of senators. And so here you have coming down to one state, you have two Senate seats in a runoff election. Now, generally, they're, in op- they're not in the same cycle, but because of a special election, you've got two Senate seats being decided on the same day, which will decide control of the United States Senate. Never happened before. So all the eyes of the world, literally, are on Georgia. And so that's why we're here. Last night we had a pray vote stand Georgia rally here at Truett McConnell University. And joining me now to uh, to give us some of the highlights of last night's event is FRC Action Vice President Brent Kylan. Brent, welcome back to the program. Thanks, Tony. Good to be with you. So a pretty exciting night last night here with the rally. It really was, Tony. And like you said, I mean, this is really a historic election. And you could, I think, really sense that energy from the people here and from the, the speakers. You know, this is um, just uh, the, the state's here are incredibly high, and that was, I think, one of the one of the themes that came out last night. We had some uh, tr- t- tremendous guests. I know you're going to get into that a little bit later here, but uh, several members of Congress, other speakers, and uh, yeah, just really talking about the importance of everybody uh, making sure they don't sit this out, making sure everybody does what they can do to get out, vote their values, get your friends and fr- family to do the the same thing for the January five runoff. Yeah, you mentioned it, several members of Congress. We had Congressman Jody Heiss. We had uh, Congressman Doug Collins. We had Congressman Louis Gohmert and, and others. But you talk about everybody doing their part. That was the message that uh, Congressman Heiss had. Uh, Bobby, play clip number three. 
It's we the people. We, we are the governing authority. We are the power that makes this work. It's not government down to the people. Ours was a structure of we the people. And our system does not work unless we the people are engaged in this and actively involved. And Brent, that's exactly why we are here in Georgia. That's exactly right, Tony. And and one of those things, you know, really, um, Congressman Heiss talking about being engaged. Um, when we look at these Senate runoffs, we have a very clear differentiation of the records on these candidates, which is uh, something that is so important for for our, the listeners to know, people here on the ground in Georgia know. But also, as we covered last night, we, we equipped them with some information to go and share that information with some other people. If you look at these these uh, candidates, you have um, Kelly Leffler and David Perdue, who on our FRC Action Scorecard, which scores the votes uh, impacting faith, family, and freedom, have been true blues. That means they're getting uh, 100%, and, and they have really stood up for some very important issues. Uh, on the other hand, you have uh, Raphael Warnock, you have uh, John Ossoff, who are, are taking some very extreme uh, positions. One that comes to mind is neither one has, uh, has been willing to condemn uh, birthday abortion. We've got the born right. alive right. Uh, bill. We've talked about neither one has come out in support of that. Um, they've got some pretty extreme uh, positions on judges and just some other very, very uh, important issues for Georgia and for the country. Yeah, you talk about the contrast between them last night. Uh, Ralph Reed, uh, who we're working with here in Georgia. He's from Georgia, his organization based here, uh, Faith and Freedom uh, Coalition. And we're working with him. And he, he made that point last night. Bobby, play clips 15 and 16. In my lifetime, there has never been a starker contrast or a wider chasm on philosophy and issues than between these four candidates. And if they win these two seats, make no mistake about it, the first thing they do after they make Chuck Schumer majority leader of the U.S. Senate, the first thing they will do is they will abolish the filibuster. And when they do that, we lose all minority rights. Once they can do anything with 50 votes, with Kamala Harris breaking the tie, they will then pack the Supreme Court. They will then admit new states to the union, starting with Guam, Puerto Rico, and the District of Columbia, six new liberal senators from those three states. They will be able to pass massive tax increases. They will gut the Religious Freedom Restoration Act. They will pass the Green New Deal. There's no telling what kind of a agreement that they will ratify with Iran that is devoted to the destruction of the United States and the state of Israel. Now, folks, that's what's on the line in just 19 days. You know, and, and someone say, well, they, they wouldn't do all of that. They've actually said they would do that. That's in that's and a lot of that is in the Democratic Party platform. That's right, Tony. And, and again, that's why, um, you know, looking at this race, uh, as you mentioned earlier on the show, this is really not just about Georgia. You know, all of those things that uh, that were discussed, um, those then go on to set precedent and affect us all nationally. And, yeah, you're right. Uh, a lot of these positions that have been laid out uh, by the candidates, uh, exactly, these are these are outlined black and white in the party platforms. Oh, part of uh, last night's event. 
event, one of our co-sponsors was American Family Association and uh, Abe Hamilton, who is uh, on Hamilton's Corner on American Family Radio, was with us last night. And, you know, he brought it into key focus, as others did, on the issue of, of socialism and what the left is pushing. Bobby, play clip number five and six for us. There's a conversation circulating around this idea of socialism as if it's somehow instantly reclassified as kindler and gentler. You know, the death, poverty, and destruction that has always followed socialism all of a sudden vanishes into thin air if you put the word democratic in front of it. You know, if you vote for it, it somehow becomes something entirely other than we we have known it to be throughout history. But if you think putting the word democratic in front of socialism makes it kindler or gentler, I have news for you. You'll vote for socialism, but once. But once. This is a showing up time for the state of Georgia that has repercussions for the entire country. That's the exact point you were making. It's an election here in Georgia, Georgia, but it affects the entire nation. And I think he makes a great point. You can only vote for socialism once because once you put them in, you've got a totalitarian government going forward. That's right. I, I thought he did such a good job of making that that case, Tony, and, and talking about how, hey, um, in that situation that he was uh, that he was sharing with our audience, um, there was an election that was involved. The people voted this in, not really realizing. Um, you know, not looking maybe into those candidates as well as they should have, and that didn't go away. And, Tony, I think one thing that really stood out uh, to me, uh, listening to all of these speakers, because the stakes are so high, uh, I'm seeing this, you're seeing this being here, Everybody's here in Georgia, left and right. Um, you talk about yeah, it's ads. hard to get a hotel room. It, it is, you know, the uh, the ads. We're, we're seeing unprecedented amounts of money pouring in. Uh, we're seeing uh, both left and right doing all kinds of get out the vote and mailers. And uh, and one of the speakers uh, alluded to this, um, but it, it's so important that we all do our parts. And it, it really kind of reminded me of that story of uh, of Nehemiah, where you know everybody found their section of the wall to build on. And I, I think that's a good thing for all of us, whether or not you're in Georgia or out. Obviously, if you're not here in Georgia, you can't vote here. But there are other things you're doing. There, there are things groups um, outside are doing. Influence the people that you do know that are here. Write those people. Text those people. There's something that everybody can do involved, uh, can do to get involved because these elections will have tremendous right. impact on everybody. Yeah, and that was a point that Todd Starnes made, who was with us last night, about this is a great place to actually draw the line. Uh, Play uh, clips number uh, 10 and 11, Bobby. I can't think of a better place to stop socialism than the great state of Georgia. But if you want to eat inside a Chick-fil-A, you're going to go and vote on Election Day. If you ever want to see your grandparents again inside their home, you got to go and vote on Election Day. If you want to reopen our churches, you better go and vote on Election Day. If you want to protect Christian universities like Truett McConnell, you're going to go and vote on Election Day. If you want to stop the radicals from packing our courts, you are going to go and vote on Election Day. And if you want to stop the godless socialist, and if you want to keep America great, you're going to go and vote on Election Day. No equivocation there. He uh, made it very, very clear, uh, as did Doug Collins. Congressman Doug Collins was here last night. I tell you what, Brent, he was on fire. 
He really was, Tony. You you can tell he gets how important this is. And I wish I could take uh, you know some of that energy, maybe put it in a bottle, because he was uh, like you said, he was really on fire, very energizing for the uh, for the people uh, listening in and, and watching here. Uh, let's play uh, two clips from him. Clip number seven and eight, Bobby. It is by strong military that this world stays safe. It is not by weakness. It is not by appeasement. It is about a strong military. That is where we need to go. The Senate cannot go the other way. It cannot be at a place in which business owners and people of faith are ever intimidated. It cannot be, as I have seen over the past few years, I have been fighting hard as an Air Force chaplain who is one who has had the ability to serve in Congress. I am tired of seeing the left try to attack the people of faith within our military. And there happens to be a certain senatorial candidate in Georgia that says you cannot serve God and the military. I'm here to tell you right now on that uniform with pride and I serve God as my master, my Lord and Savior and I serve in the military because he gives me strength. It is time for conservatives to stand up and say we are the ones who believe in people. We're the ones who do not back down. We have every right to say what we believe. Conservatives are the one that can actually look into somebody's eyes and say I believe in you. No matter where you come from, what background you are, red and yellow, black and white, my scripture tells me they are precious in his sight. That is why we fight what we do. I mean it's hard to top that as I said last night uh, he was uh, he was on fire but he knows what is at stake and I so uh, admire uh, Cong- uh, Congressman Doug Collins because you know he was in this race for the Senate and he didn't come out on top. Uh, I've been there. I've done that before. And he turned around and he endorsed uh, the the, the uh, Kelly Leffler, uh, getting behind her, and he was very clear about that last night. He really was, Tony, uh, unequivocal and just encouraging people, saying, "Hey, hey, we we've got no options here. You know, uh, a lot of people want to take a break. We're tired after November, right? We're we're tired of the ads. We wish this was over, but we." We need to push on for a few more weeks. And I think one thing, Tony, that's important to remember, too, in the context here is um, we always talk about these January uh, 5 runoffs, you know, January 5 election day. But uh, early voting is underway right. in Georgia here. Started. There's already been uh, uh, almost uh, one and a half million ballots cast. Last numbers I have seen, almost half a million ballots are in. So we have to remember, you know, those those people who are in Georgia, you can go vote in person right now. Now, right. If you know somebody in Georgia, you can go vote in person right now. Um, you don't have to wait. And uh, just like we saw for the November election, you know, now that that has started, we are expecting to see, you know, that steady trickle every every voting day between now and January 5. So we don't have to wait till January 5 to remind folks. And, and we've get got uh, voter guides at mm-hmm. PrayVoteStand.org yes. where uh, if, if you, uh, you're not certain where they stand on the issues, we'll help you. PrayVoteStand.org. All right. I, I, I cannot not wrap this up until we play a clip from Congressman Louis Gohmert of Texas, who was with us last night. And uh, there's only one Louis Gohmert. Uh, here's uh, t- two two short clips from our good friend Congressman Louis Gohmert. Play uh, 12 and 13 for us, Bobby. And I heard this over and over, and I came to hate hearing it. Louis, we don't have to worry. God's in control. And it was used as a cop-out not to do what we were put in place to do. And it was a cop-out not to use the tools that God gave us to accomplish what we were there to do. Because it was easier not to. Yeah, God's sovereign, God's in control. But just because he's in control doesn't mean he wants us to lean on our shovel and pray for a hole. Ain't that right? 
So here we are in America. We've all been given tools, and voting is one of them. And he expects us to use it and to get out and vote. Brent, I don't know how you uh, summarize that any better than, than, than Louis. You know, we pray, but we vote mm-hmm. and we stand. And the folks in Georgia, no matter what's been happening, no matter what the, the discouragement that might be there, the challenges that are there, we have got to exercise the right that God has given us and the responsibility, and that is to vote. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And, you know, Tony, you look at the the stakes. That also means by you exercising your right to vote, you encouraging the people, you know, you also have the ability to be a part of something historic. And I think, you know, the opportunity here is is really neat to look at, too. Yeah, there's a lot riding on this, but that means the uh, the impact, you know, the the um, the uh, ability God has placed in front of you to make an impact on something very important is is kind of exciting to think about, too, here. Yeah. So don't uh, don't lean on your shelf and pray for a whole. That's right. That's get right. out there and uh, and get busy. And by the way, uh, we're about to wrap it up here, but we've got another event here in Georgia tomorrow with pastors. That's right, in Atlanta. Yeah, and um, yeah, really uh, un- unpacking a lot of the issues. They're going to be sharing a lot of these voting materials and uh, you know getting those in front of them, things they can go and take back to, to their congregations to make sure that they have the information they need to really uh, engage and make those informed decisions heading to... Uh, up to uh, January 5. Yeah, and if you're a pastor here in uh, in Georgia, you can join us in the Atlanta area. It's uh, real easy. We're going to be right outside of Atlanta uh, tomorrow. That's uh, Thursday. To find out more, go to TonyPerkins.com. You can follow the links over and uh, and join us. And Brent, let me thank you for uh, for joining me here today. Thanks, Tony. Appreciate the and, opportunity. Uh, great job uh, you and your team putting together uh, last night's Pray Vote Stand Georgia rally here at Truett McConnell University. And, folks, I want to thank you for joining us as well. Remember, lots of resources at TonyPerkins.com and PrayVoteStand.org. Until next time, I leave you with the encouraging words of the Apostle Paul found in Ephesians 6, where he says, when you've done everything you can do, and you've prayed, prepared, and taken your stand, by all means, keep standing. Washington Watch with Tony Perkins is brought to you by Family Research Council and is entirely listener-supported. Portions of the show discussing candidates are brought to you by Family Research Council Action. For more information on anything you've heard today or to find out how you can partner with us in our ongoing efforts to promote faith, family, and freedom, visit TonyPerkins.com. Also, to leave a comment about Washington Watch, call our watch line at 1-866-372-7234. That's 1-866-372-7234.